Peraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Seven seconds, Miles with it, six seconds, five, Coles with four, Coles with three, Coles drives, the floater is good! With 1.5 seconds left, Collins fires from backcourt, he can't get it to fall, and Arizona State's season has come to an end. Out in the first round, although it was ASU's second game in the tournament because they were one of the play-in teams. More wins than U of A. Yeah, they did technically have more wins than U of A in the uh, tournament this year. I know ASU was the 11 seed, TCU was the 6 seed, so by no means is this considered an upset. But at the same time, when you watch the game, ASU had control for the majority of the game. You watch the game and then the resulting upset is uh, me. I'm upset as a result. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, I listen, to recap how I felt about the game, ASU goes down by 11 very early. It's 13 to 2 at one point in time. They looked rough early. I wouldn't blame anybody for thinking ASU's kind of already out of it. Yeah. Against a better team in TCU, or at least a better over the course of the season. I wouldn't blame you for thinking that they were just kind of out of it at that point. But to ASU's credit, they did pretty much everything better than TCU did in this game. When it comes down to the shooting percentages, they shot much better than TCU did. I want to say they shot like 45% from the floor, 48, something like that. They were better in almost all aspects. Mm -hmm. Rebounding was comparable. Assists, uh, I was actually kind of shocked at how low the assist numbers were for ASU, but they were scoring anyway, so who cares? They move the ball, but when they move the ball very nicely, sometimes it doesn't always result in a bucket. So assists are kind of like the... The weird stat. They shot well from deep, which yeah. is not something they've been overly great at in the second half of this season in conference play in general. I thought ASU did pretty much everything they did they needed to do to win the game, except they didn't hit their free throws. And it seems like such a minute thing. It seems so small in the grand scheme of things, but they shoot 67% from the line. They didn't get to the line nearly enough. TCU did. That's the difference. If I had to and it's funny. Pinpoint to, one thing: it's free throws. It's funny too because TCU had plenty of opportunities at the line. Let alone one guy had fourteen free throw attempts. Uh, Miles Junior, who's their best player, so I'm not too surprised. Mike Miles, he had fourteen free throw attempts yesterday, so he accounted Made for a majority of TCU's free throws. But like they also missed seven free throw attempts. It's not like this game was lost for ASU at the free throw line. TCU barely won this game because they were also not so great from the free throw line. No, but it was about getting to the line. Sure. It was about how often they were at the line. They, the thing about ASU, at least from my vantage point, and it wasn't just this game, is that they don't do a lot of interior shooting. And if they do, it's either blocked before they get a chance to put the shot up or fumbled in the paint. Like, there's not a lot of work that's done in the paint. There's not a lot of scoring that's done in the paint. It's a lot of outside. It's a lot of mid-range, right? They're just not constructed that way. They have a lot of guys that prefer to shoot outside. And that's not a problem when you make the shots, like 47% yesterday from three. But it is a problem when it becomes... 38% 38% from the field overall, which was not the total yesterday, but has been a recurring total for this ASU team throughout the year. Here's the problem. So 
I see the regular season as almost two halves. And I'm not talking about non-conference and conference specifically, but really what it comes down to is ASU went on a hot streak to start the year, and then they lose on January 19th to UCLA. The next game, they lose to USC. The next, they lose to Washington. Then to Washington State. They go on a slide at that point in the season. So let's look at January 19th through the rest of the regular season, that USC loss on March 4th. In that half of the season... ASU shot 39% from the floor. They shot 30% from three. Mm. That's not good enough. Mm -mm. You compare it to the first stretch of the season. So from everything before January 19th uh, through, what was it? It would have been November 7th, I guess it is. I mean, they were significantly better. They shot... 43% from the floor. They shot 32% from three. Still not great, but better than they were in the second half. This is not a great shooting team. So to not have the, what what did you say, not have the scoring of the basketball happening down low, to not have the interior presence really hurts because you don't have great shooters either. And it's not like they're short as a team. Warren Washington, I'm just trying to pull up. He's seven footer listed. Duke Brennan, he got some minutes last night. Six ten. Alonzo Gaffney got plenty of minutes last night. Six six. It's not like this team is lacking in size down low. They just, for whatever reason, they decide not to play their style that way. And it's not just this team. It is a. It's kind of how Bobby Hurley constructs his rosters, right? The tallest guy is not like the most dominant force on the roster. The only time that I recall the tallest man on the floor being the best player for ASU, and he wasn't even the best player on that ASU team, was when they had Zylan Cheatham and Lugan Stort. Dort was big, stocky, held the ball, could shoot from outside, and Zylan Cheatham was a strong force down low. But he was the second best player on that team. He was the second option on that team. The first option has never been the big option for Bobby Hurley's clubs. And whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, that's your decision. But that's just the way that these rosters get constructed. There's not a lot of in-the-paint play. So looking at the Bobby Hurley tenure, this is the third time they've made the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, in eight seasons, you can make your own decision on whether or not that's enough for you to look at the future for ASU. Is it better or worse than the guy before? I guess that would be the question uh, most people would ask. But better, I think. It's a different conversation. For me, it comes down to really one thing, especially in college. In college basketball or football, I kind of feel the same way. It's about the players that you get mm-hmm. to come and play in your in your system at your school. Because recruiting is everything in college athletics. It's part of the reason that U of A continues to be good at basketball every single year, despite the fact that they lost in the first round. Yikes to Princeton, bunch of nerds. <laughs> lost to a bunch of nerds. U of A losing? Um, That's crazy. But I think that it's all about recruiting, and I think Bobby Hurley's done a pretty good job. This ASU program, there's not a lot of prestige. There's not a lot of reason to come here. I mean, look, the best thing he did was bringing in the Cambridge brothers, uh, Devin from Auburn, Desmond from Nevada, getting both of them to come here for their final years. Getting Warren Washington to come in was really, really good. They had an awesome freshman who I wish would have been available for this game in Austin Nunez. And he wasn't because of concussion protocol, but he's going to be everything for this team next year. Bobby's always done a good job finding good talent to bring in. It's just a matter of whether or not they want to stay for the most part. Like Bagley? Saw what, ha- saw what happened with Tayshawn Tayshaun Cherry. Jalen House, Eddie House's kid. That oh, didn't end right. well. 
We didn't even. Did you mention Bagley? Bagley, yeah. Marvin Bagley. That was this, or not Marvin? Marcus, Marcus Bagley. That was this year. Yeah. We almost forgot about that. He could have been a part of this. He could have been. Josh Christopher was a one and done, but he didn't play hardly any games for that COVID stricken season. And then you mentioned Dort. You mentioned Cheatham, who I thought was a pretty good player. I mean, both transfers, but also both one year at ASU. I think Bobby Hurley, when it comes to recruiting, has done a good job. Because when you look at the Pac-12, people don't want to play in the Pac-12. You know why? Not anymore. Because they don't win championships. No. The last time they won was 97, the Wildcats. That was forever ago now. U of A has some prestige. I get it. Although I don't understand why it continues to draw players to Tucson. UCLA's got some prestige. I get that. Although that's it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time. I mean, I know Lonzo Ball was a good player, but like it's been a long time. Since they didn't UCLA win anything. Legit. You know, like to your point and to my point, it's been 97 since a Pac-12 or 10 team won a national title. 1997. I was two in 1997. <laughs> since we're talking about national championships, can I give a shout out to my alma mater? Sure. My alma mater, Indiana Tech, is playing for a national championship tonight for the NAIA. Indiana hey. Tech. They'll be, yeah, they'll be on ESPN3 tonight. Where is that? Indiana Tech? Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's technically in Indiana. Yeah, Tech. technically in Indiana, but Fort Wayne. <laughs> Tech. By Fort Nickel- Wayne. Oh, whatever. Are they typically good? Well, you, we're always good, but we haven't made it this far since 2004, 2005. And I had to hate to date myself. I was on that team. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> what you. what uh, division Hooper. is this? Uh, Indiana Tech is Division Two. Division Two. Gotcha. Congratulations. Star Hooper, Trevor Henry. I love that. Yeah. We're rooting for you we guys. We talked about it in, this, uh, the, in the high school show. I said, hey, I'm going to turn up if Indiana Tech wins. <laughs> you should. You should celebrate. There's not much else to celebrate in Arizona. Just friend. decorate the room. What is that? Orange and black are their colors? That's right. Just decorate the room orange and black when you come back in. Isn't and then that it'll Princeton's be- colors, too? Yeah, that'll Sadly double down. That'll be perfect. Big week for or- the orange and black. Let me tell you. <sighs> Listen, to put, sure, to put a ball on this, yeah. I want to ask you straight up. Is this a successful season for ASU? You win one game in the play-in, so they technically won a tournament game, although still out in the first round. It's one of Bobby Hurley's best statistical seasons in terms of wins and losses. It's right up there with the other two teams that made the tournament, and the 2020 team actually had a better record even though they didn't make the tournament. I'll say yes, but I'm not happy about it. I don't know. Don't look like crud against some of the teams in the in the conference that you have to play multiple times a year. Don't get outshot by University of San Francisco when you're starting the season 11-1 or 10-1. Don't force overtime with Texas Southern. Like, There's a lot of times this year where ASU has just done some really Dumb things basketball-wise. Yes, they finished strong. Yes, they had an awesome win in McHale, which feels like it's been forever since they've won in McHale. But is that enough? And is that enough to keep Bobby Hurley around? I don't know. Like, you can only get to certain levels with certain people. And after a while, it kind of starts to wane on you, right? Like, after a while, something is going to happen. You cannot get better unless you make massive changes sometimes. If you're going to have the opinion of time to move on from Bobby Hurley, if you're going to go down that road, my only question is, who's next? What's the alternative? Who's going to take the job? The grass is not always greener. Who are you going to get that's better than Bobby Hurley right now? I don't know that that person's out there. Me neither. I don't know who that is. Because remember, that's what we did after Herb Sendak. 
We said, who's next? And then when Bobby Hurley eventually became the guy, it's like, okay, I can buy into this. I can get it. It's like, I get the picture. It's like what? Are you going to convince Rick Pitino to come here? And is that actually any better than what you have right now? Ooh, that would, that would ruffle some feathers. Coming up next, speaking of plans for the future, what's the Cardinals' plan behind their franchise quarterback? Steve and I will try to answer next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, we know Kyler Murray is going to be injured. He's going to miss some time next season. Could be four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Some people are even worried it could be longer, but let's, for the sake of this argument, at least just talk about the backup options. Colt McCoy is the backup quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, but he it. also had a minor procedure this offseason. Not really sure entirely what that means or if he could miss time. Not a lot of clarity from the front office or coaching staff on that either. So you would think that on some level, a priority, maybe not the main priority, but a priority this offseason would be figuring out what the plan is at quarterback in the short term until Kyler Murray is ready to go. I think a lot of fans would have preferred that the Cardinals go out in free agency and grab one of those backup type guys. Mm -hmm. That has not happened. And they're running out of options, too. Um, I'm pulling up SpotTrack.com, which does a good job of compiling contracts, positional, however you want to sort it. And if you look at the quarterbacks on SpotTrack, you will see that several have already been signed. Derek Carr, who was, of course, cut by the Raiders and is now in New Orleans. Jimmy Garoppolo, who left San Francisco to Las Vegas. Then these are just options that even the Cardinals could have looked at. Not Carr and Garoppolo, necessarily. Yeah, they wouldn't have gone and got but a here's starting caliber Here's who's already gone that could have easily been signed by the Cardinals if you want to throw them behind Kyler Murray or ask them to do half of the season this year. Taylor Heineke, two years, 14 mil to Atlanta. So seven for a year. Andy Dalton, two years, 10 mil to Carolina. Five million for Andy Dalton. Jarrett Stidham, 210 to Denver. Jacoby Brissett, who was connected a lot. He went one year, eight to Washington. Mike White, two years, eight to Miami. Case Keenum, two years, 6.25 to Houston. Cooper Rush, two years, five to Dallas. Mariota, one year, five to Philly. P.J. Walker, two years, five to Chicago. Like, I could go on. The point being is we're running out of options here. We're the number one option on this list of available players. 36 quarterbacks left. Carson Wentz. Yeah. Remember I mentioned that to, uh, was that Tyler Drake we were talking to a couple weeks ago? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if they if the Cardinals find themselves in a position where they do need a fill in quarterback, and I suggested Carson Wentz, and that's the one name where Tyler Drake went. And the immediate no, reaction no. is, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, not no, gonna do that. That doesn't give me a lot I of mean, hope. In reality, it's not a bad option if you need somebody for a couple of weeks. Matt Ryan's out there. But are you really there. gonna convince Carson Wentz to come in and like, hey, we will guarantee you four games. Anything else beyond that, we have no idea. I don't think you're guaranteeing anybody anything. Well, then what? Because that hurts you in negotiation. What motivation do I have to show up, right? What you motivation don't. do I have to say, yes, I'm going to sign a contract and I know that my days are numbered? The motivation is nobody else out there signs you. The person that's going to be playing, if, if we are to believe that Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy will both not be available for week one, which we don't know, but let's just, for argument's sake, say that neither of them are available week one. We will not know who that next quarterback is for a while. Right. That's my guess. Because a lot of these guys, Carson Wentz, 
Matt Ryan's available. Teddy Bridgewater's name has been floated out there. Tom Brady. Uh, I'm not going to mention Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Mason Rudolph, Joe Flacco, Blaine Gabbert. Some of these guys are hey, out can there. Can I just Chase stop you? Yeah. These options are awful. Yeah, they're bad. So it's like, not would you rather options. have any of these guys or Colt McCoy? Because this is what the Cardinals have done now. And I'm not saying like, oh, they should have been aggressive in the quarterback market. It was just something to consider given their current quarterback situation. I have one I may be okay with. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater. I always thought he got the short end of the stick everywhere he went. Then obviously suffered a very serious injury that could have been much, much worse for him. Right. Teddy Bridgewater is one that I'm at least intrigued in for a couple of weeks. I'm not saying that he's going to come in and win a bunch of games and maybe compete with Kyler Murray going forward. That, that is not the point of this. But, I mean, if you're looking at these bad options, he might be the least bad of the bad. It's a pretty low bar to set, but, I mean, I'm not overly excited about Mason Rudolph. Blaine Gabbert we've seen before in Arizona. That's so nothing then, special. Basically, here's what you're setting yourself up for then. You're going to use one of these later round picks, and you're just going to draft a guy. That's because you, an option. You literally only have a healthy Colt McCoy, and he's not even healthy right now. As you pointed out, you only have Colt McCoy as your best available quarterback on this roster, and your only available quarterback on this roster. Part of the problem, too, is with this draft in particular, how many quarterbacks, I don't know the answer to this, how many quarterbacks go on average in a draft? I'm guessing it's somewhere between like 12 and 15. I would say in the really good years, it's a lot higher than lower. But okay. I would imagine that the like the bar is probably somewhere around like an eight-ish. Okay. So here's the thing. You're going to have three quarterbacks off the board, probably within the first three picks. That's assuming Arizona moves down. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be more realistic about it. You're going to have four quarterbacks taken in the top ten. I feel really confident in saying that. Yeah. You good with that? Sure. So there's four quarterbacks already off the board before Arizona, because assuming they don't take one in the first round, they shouldn't. (laughs) Then by the time Arizona's looking for a quarterback, the four best are off the board. My guess is that there will be maybe a fifth taken in the first round, late in the first round. It's the Lamar Jackson effect, right? That happened a few years back for Baltimore. Uh, A couple will go in the second. A couple will go in the third. By the time the Cardinals get to their late round quarterback pick that we're talking about them possibly doing... The crop is gone. You're looking at the 12th, 13th, 15th, 20th best quarterback in the in the draft. Are you trying to get Is the that best any possible? better than Nate Sudfeld? I'm looking at free agents right now. Trevor Simeon, Chase Daniel. Well, it would certainly be cheaper. Yeah. Because it seems like that's the approach that this franchise has taken so far in free agency. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say like that's exactly what they're doing. It's just coming off that way. Like the most significant signing that they've made so far this offseason was a, to your point, a middle linebacker. Man, this team loves middle linebackers, don't they? They sure seem to. I don't know. I, I think the other thing I'm I'm cognizant of here is that out of these bad options, the Cardinals are likely going to have to chase multiple. Not only because some of them you won't get, but also you're going to need a few because what if we get to the preseason? We know Kyler Murray's not playing in the preseason, mm-hmm. so that's out. We don't know about Colt McCoy, but if he's not ready for the regular season, I'm guessing that means he's not ready for the preseason, so he's out. Now you have literally, as of now, zero quarterbacks on the roster after them. Somebody has to play in the preseason and in training camp. You have to have somebody throwing the ball. Trace McSorley is still out there, I believe, right? Yeah. He's a guy who's been in the building at least. 
I, again, yeah, but then previous in, regime. But then so maybe what it means improvements nothing. are we making? You're not exactly. You're not. So it almost, at this point, you're not making. It an almost would be better just to draft a backup quarterback than it is to go after any of these guys. But even if you draft a guy, I still think you're going to need to go and get at least one of these bad options in free agency because you need multiple quarterbacks in the preseason. You're okay. not going to roll with one guy in How the preseason. This? What would you rather do? Would you rather take from a grouping of, I'm going to make the group for you. Okay. Would you rather take from a group of Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Teddy Bridgewater, or, I don't know. Okay, we'll just leave it at those three. Would you rather take from a group of Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, or Teddy Bridgewater, or would you rather draft a backup and then just bring back Trace McSorley? I'd rather have one of the guys you mentioned, as long as the price is right. I mean, I'm not paying them $8 million, which is what you said Jacoby Brissett got. I don't think you could spend $8 million on a third quarterback. But can I get them for the Kyle Allen price of $1.2 million? I would think you would need to do a lot of can convincing. Can I get them for the Nick Mullins, Baker Mayfield, $4 million? Baker Mayfield got $4 million. He's going to be the starter how about the Mar- in Tampa Bay. How about the Mariota price? One year, five. It's pushing it a little like, bit, but it's reasonable. Can you convince a Teddy Bridgewater to come in for one year, five? Million. Teddy Bridgewater has also been a Cardinal before, if you want to get technical about it. A Louisville Cardinal. Oh. I was going to say, I unfortunately don't get the joke. He's familiar with being a Cardinal. Um, so is Lamar Jackson then. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think that I would like to have one of these guys at the top of our bad list. Teddy Bridgewater stands out to me. Matt Ryan seems like he would not do it for $5 million. I can't see him becoming Joe Flacco. Because Joe Flacco's been that guy for the last few years with the Jets and other teams mm-hmm. as well. But to your point, yeah, you probably do draft a quarterback late. Sixth, seventh round quarterback, a guy who's a camp body. Maybe it works out. Maybe he's the scout team guy. But I think you're going to need to chase multiple of these quarterbacks so that you have somebody to play in the preseason. You can't go in with nobody. Coming up next, we got hits with some news we probably should have seen coming yesterday, but we didn't. A legend is leaving. We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Bereldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, in case things weren't bad enough in Arizona Sports, we're going to be without another uh, Arizona broadcasting legend. Legend. Emphasis on legend. The Hall of Famer Al McCoy is calling it quits after this season. 50-plus years is the voice of the Phoenix Suns. Longer than any other broadcaster for any team in the NBA specifically. I mean, Al's an enigma. I remember when I met Al. Uh, I went, I was. I think I was 19 when I started working here. And we had a reporter, his name was Craig Grealoux. He's great, he works over for the Arizona Cardinals now. But Craig took the night off uh, to do something with his family, and he said, can you go cover the Suns game for me? I am not a reporter, by the way. And I'm 19 <laughs> well, at the now. time. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, can you go to the Suns game? Sure, whatever, I can do it. And I go, I'd never been before. And you've been to the Suns games, you've been down to the media area, like they've got the Al McCoy Media Center, yep. which is this big room where all the media congregates and eats and, and hangs out, and there's a timeline of Al's career. Keep in mind, this is like 10 plus years ago that this happened. Mm-hmm. And there's this time line of Al's career on the walls and he's this larger than life presence and I'm sitting there and I think I can't remember who I was talking to it might have been Eddie Johnson or somebody like that I was talking with somebody and 
somebody walks in the room and everyone gets up and starts clapping. And I have no idea what's going on. And I look over and it's this older gentleman, very short, yes. <laughs> glasses that are perfect circles. And I was like, that's Al McCoy? Because he's got this big booming voice that you grew mm-hmm. up on and that you know and love. And I, I saw Al for the first time. And I thought, that, that's Al? Is that Al? Really? I thought they were pulling a prank on me. <laughs> Al, I got to know him a little bit. If he saw me now, he would have no clue who I am. But I would say the same for me, too. But Al, I got the pleasure of calling him once a week uh, when I was working a morning show here for a couple of years. And he came on weekly with us. And what I always loved about Al is every time I called him at, let's say it was like 830 in the morning every Tuesday or something, I would call Al and... The very, you know, most of the time when you get a call, you pick up and you say hello, right? Hello. That's a natural. No, when Al picks up the phone, he always goes, All right, I'm ready. <laughs> Before he even knows who's on the other end of the line. It could have been me, it could have been an intern, it could have been anybody. Al is always Doesn't ready. Doesn't matter to go. now. He's always ready to go. He's all right, I'm ready to go. <laughs> every, every week he would do that. And I loved him for it. I'm going to miss Al, man. I think. So this alone obviously is massive for Valley sports fans. Compound it now with the fact that the Gub, Greg Schulte, the voice of the Diamondbacks, is also going to be retiring after this season. Yeah. And it's just going to create for one very long 2023 in terms of legends and in terms of people who we immediately tie to one thing and the one thing that they always did a great job in. For their entire career, right? It's like when Larry Fitzgerald decided he was... Actually, I don't want to speak for him because every time he, we mention the word retirement, he comes after you. He's not retired. <laughs> he, he's still playing pickleball. He's pulling probably. the Tim Duncan. I'm um, not going to actually retire. When he did not re-sign with the Arizona Cardinals, there let's you phrase go. it like that. It was one of those moments that we never really felt like we got to fully appreciate Fitz for what he did, right? He kind of just, just left. He kind of just didn't come back. But that dude was a legend here, is a legend here, still is a legend here. We know what's coming now, and it's going to hit like a ton of bricks, whatever the last Suns game of the year is. It's going to be a very emotional moment when that final radio call from Al McCoy hits. Yeah, and when you kind of add to the fact that the last game of the year will be in the playoffs, at least boring any major setback. The last game of the year will be in the playoffs. So... It's not going to, Al's not going to make this about him. No. The last game of the season is either going to be, and I don't want to set any unreasonable expectations, but it's either going to be a heartbreaking loss in the playoffs or it's going to be the last win that solidifies the first ever championship for the Phoenix Suns and the best possible ending for Al. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two options. And to think that is just insane to me because I want it to go out the right way for Al. Everyone wants it to go out the right way. We almost had it two years ago, too. Oh, so close. And I can't help but think to myself, if the Suns had won that championship, if they had closed out the Bucs after going up 2-0 in the series, would Al have called it quits then? Go out on top. What more is there to accomplish? There's nothing left for Al to accomplish. He's at the pinnacle of broadcasting. The, The man is almost 90 years old. He's still a booming voice in this community. He means a lot to a lot of people, including one of the greatest moments I've seen in Suns history is when Al went into the Ring of Honor and Devin Booker stayed on the court to watch at halftime. He didn't have to do that. Even add to it last year, after they won the 64th game, the most a single Suns team has ever won in franchise history, 
signing the jersey and giving it to Al after the game. How cool. Yeah. The players recognize how like, big of a deal Al is. Yeah, they understand the impact that he has on this franchise. He's not just some dude that shows up and tells you what's happening on the floor. He is the voice of the Suns. Shazam. And he stuck around all those terrible years. Oh, my God. Yeah. All those years of winning 18, 19, 20 games. And he stuck around. And he gets to see one of the greatest eras of Suns basketball, which I'm comfortable saying the last three years have been one of the best eras of Sun basketball, if not the best. Al was able to quickly hop on with Burns and Gamble yesterday. I know he joined Gatos and Chad on uh, KTR News as well. He was popular. Um, Burnsy was asking him about, now you're going to be getting a lot of attention. Are you okay with that, per se? It's a bit of a longer answer, but it's good. Well, you know, I don't need the attention. And as I said a moment ago, it's time for someone else to have as much fun as I have had. And as far as the broadcast last night, I mean, I still love the game. Uh, You know, it's the only sport in the world that has a great play every 24 seconds. And I still love the game. I still love the players. and, And it'll be fun going the rest of the way because, as you know a lot of things uh, for the Suns this year are going to have to be decided here in the next six weeks and I'm happy I'm going to be a part of that but it's been a a great ride as I like to say Uh, my career is one that I've really uh, enjoyed and as I said uh, you know eventually it's time to kind of as I said let somebody else have the fun I've had and that's the way I look at it. I know he doesn't want to make it about him, and we're going to on some level, I suppose. Oh, 100%. But I'll make it about something else for, for a second. I think we've been overly blessed with Arizona sports broadcasters. You mentioned uh, Schulte as well with the Diamondbacks. He's been the only voice of the Arizona Diamondbacks for the last, how long of days is it? 25 years, mm-hmm. roughly. Uh, Dave Pash with the Cardinals on the radio broadcast with Ron Wolfley. That duo is one of the best in the NFL at what they do. Mm-hmm. God bless Dave Pash's ability to work with people like Ron Wolfley and Bill Walton at the same time. <laughs> uh, I think that we've been greatly blessed in the ASU community with guys, personal friend of ours, Jeff Munn, with Tim Healy, with those guys. They've been awesome. The Coyotes have had good broadcast crews as well. Bob I think Heath that, House is a legend. I think there. that we've had awesome broadcasters in the Valley in the last 25 years. Since the inception of the Diamondbacks, since the Coyotes came over uh, with the emergence of ASU, I think that we've been very, very lucky, and I hope that that continues when these two giants are not replaced, but when somebody steps in and fills those gaps. Uh, and I'm I'm excited for the future, but at the same time, like we have to take advantage of the moment and look at what we're uh, who we're honoring in this moment. They will be forever immortalized. Yeah, like they they might overtake spots on. The Arizona sports Mount Rushmore, if you will. So, like, who are the four faces that you're going to see on Arizona sports' Mount Rushmore? Larry Fitzgerald. I would think that there's room for Al McCoy on that Mount Rushmore. I hope that the next time that I call Al McCoy, he answers the phone and says, All right, I'm ready (laughs) for whatever it is that comes next for Al McCoy. Gonna miss you, Al. It's gonna be weird not hearing your voice after this year. Coming up next. God, did you hear what a former Cardinal had to say about the food situation? Oh, yeah. yeah if uh, you have a it, doozy. you're going to want to hear it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes, the part of the show where we make some room for some of the other stories we wanted to hit on, but just didn't have the time or the space to hit on them. But we definitely need to hit on at least this one. Tuesday evening, Byron Murphy, it was reported, had signed a deal with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Another prime Arizona Cardinals draft selection, a great player on the corner, uh, going to Minnesota. Now, what I'm going to tie together is something else that happened related to both the Vikings and the Cardinals and really every other team in the NFL. Do you remember that NFLPA report card, Steve, that came out about a few weeks ago? That was the one that said that the Cardinals are terrible when it comes to facilities yeah, all, all the, that stuff. All that stuff. So they they interviewed like 1,300 players or whatever, yeah. got reviews on all 32 of the facilities. The Minnesota Vikings ranked number one wow. on that list by the players. And then the Cardinals, as we know, were 31 just ahead of the Washington Commanders. So, of course, a new member of the Vikings has to be asked about how nice the facility is. But listen all the way to the end on this bad boy. I would say I can tell since I've got here. Everything here is nice. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Everything. For me to come here and see how much, you know, I would say time and effort they put into this building, into their players, to the coaches, to the people upstairs, just a blessing to uh, be able to come here and see that and be a part of something like that. So it's a blessing to see how nice this uh, whole facility is. Oh, no, I think it's free upstairs. I'm good now. (laughs) That's all you can eat now. (laughs) Won't have to pay for any more meals, which... If you read the report card, you would notice that Cardinals players would be docked from their salary if they ate during the week. They had to pay for lunch, yeah. I know, and they said they were the one team in the league that still does that. Uh, Listen... I'm just putting the pieces together here, but I think it might be time for the Cardinals to reinvest in their facilities. And I'm not trying to overreact to one report card or some players saying certain things, but it's going to affect how you handle free agency. I mean, we just saw this week in free agency. They didn't really get anybody of note, and I'm not saying that that's because of facilities necessarily, but it doesn't help. (laughs) It doesn't help that Byron Murphy is going out there and signing with a new team, and the first thing that he's talking about is, I don't have to pay for lunch. You think that doesn't get back to other prospective free agents? Now, granted, in Byron's defense, I don't think he was directly trying to dig at the organization. But, of course, the reporter that asked knew what he was doing. Yeah. Did his research, right? Totally. Like, it's... it's, it's star- it doesn't feel like a big deal. No. Until you can't get anybody to come play for your team. It's staring you right in the face. Uh, there's another former Cardinal that I wanted to touch on. I haven't even brought this up to you yet. I'm kind of coming at you with this blindly. J.J. Watt was a guest of the Pat McAfee show yesterday. Talked about a variety of things. Talked about retirement. Talked about uh, just what he's doing in retirement. Why he walked away, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the recency stuff. He was asked about a former teammate, too. And not just a former Cardinals teammate, but a former Houston Texans teammate. Oh. Can you guess who? I'm guessing it's DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins. Now, why would J.J. Watt be asked about DeAndre Hopkins, you ask? Because DeAndre Hopkins has been in reported trade rumors. Does he want to go? Hop, Hop was even a guest on the McAfee show two weeks ago. But J.J. Watt was asked specifically in terms of the Patriots. 
because Bill O'Brien is the new OC. Of course, Bill O'Brien recently traded yeah. Hopkins away to the Cardinals. J.J. Watt doesn't see that as a thing that would stop Hopkins from going to New England. Listen to this. Time can make everything different. I think that, that having time and growing and maturing and having the ability to look at situations from a different light or understand, like, I mean, we all know that this is a business at the end of the day. Whether we like that it's a business or not, we all understand that. And decisions are made and things like that. Um, I also... I think Hop is a very smart like guy, and he thinks through a lot of things. And I think that um, I also think the Bill is, and I think I think that there's things that they would be able to sit down and say, you know, we're going to be able to do this with you. This is why we're going to be great. This is what we can. I, I don't. I don't think it's a situation where it would be like, oh, no, you can't work with him. Okay, so Watt sees it as it's not impossible, right? Yeah, but the, the one thing that's lost on that conversation is DeAndre Hopkins doesn't get a say. Because we've been reading and hearing about how his suspension last season... Waived his no-trade clause. Nullified his no-trade clause. He doesn't get to pick where he goes. If he did, he would probably want to go to a contender that has some cash. There's only a handful of teams that could do that. But he doesn't get to pick. So his relationship with Bill O'Brien doesn't really matter all that much, in my opinion. Watt also added this. I think if Hop thinks he can win there... I think he would go. Like I think he is at a point in his career where he wants to have the ability to win. And so I, I think it more comes down to if he believes that that's a place where he does have a chance to go and win. I don't think I don't think the relationship. If he believes that's a place where I can win, I don't think that relationship would stop him from going there. Is DeAndre Hopkins really going to win more games with Mac Jones? Did I, am I missing something? Really what I got out of that is, have you guys noticed how players in the NFL talk about their destinations these days? Aaron Rodgers did not get traded to the Jets. You might think that he did, but really what he did is he came out and said, I intend to play for the Jets. He's not on the Jets yet. J.J. Watt just then said, well, I think if Hop thinks he could could be competitive with the Patriots, he'll go to the Patriots. He's not going anywhere. He's a Cardinal. The Cardinals would have to trade him to the Patriots. It's funny how these players now talk about who they play for as if they're not currently under contract. Does anybody else feel that way? Look, why are so many teams so quick to say, no, we don't want Lamar Jackson? Why would teams do that? Where's my my Brian Windhorst fingers thing? Um, Okay, on to something else. College hoops. Surely you were watching yesterday. Purdue. Surely you had Purdue going places in your bracket. Yeah. Second time in NCAA tournament history. The lob and that will do it. Two and one fifty is the record of sixteen seeds in the NCAA tournament. Did he say FDU? Believe it. I know. Did you hear that? That's the guy, hilarious. Did you hear the guy at the beginning screaming in the background? No, no, no. Listen again. The lob and that will do it. No. no! God. Uh, what a great pun for a broadcaster. Absolutely. Bonus and points. Really quickly, I just want to give a ton of love to the Yotes in our final minute here. They are on a 12-point streak since March 5th. So what are points, you ask? Well, they have five wins, and they have two losses in overtime. You get two points for every win, and you get a point even if you lose in overtime. So they have 12 points in their last seven games. Five straight wins at home. 
And they have the Blackhawks tonight. I think I read the other day, this is an outdated stat by now, but uh, the other day I read that since the trade deadline, they're the sixth team in the NHL in points. Since they traded every player, they got rid of everybody, and they're playing well now? I wonder how Bill Armstrong feels about all this. Well, Um, I mean, you're going through a rebuild, right? Yeah. Really quickly, legacy lives on. Josh Doan has signed an entry-level deal with the Yotes. They drafted him in the second round, I think, a year or two back. How cool is that? And now he's in Tucson playing for the Roadrunners. I think that's really cool. It really is. All right. Hey, thanks for checking out the show this weekend. We really appreciate it. For my co-host, Mitch Varellis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass as well, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports. Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.